Good morning, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I am an alcoholic. Name is Fernando. I am in recovery and Al-Anon and etc., etc., etc. Let's go ahead and open the session with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who wrong against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stay. 17 of December. A priceless reward. Work with other alcoholics it works when other activities fail. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 89. Today's daily reflection says, Life will take on a new meaning, as the big book says. This promise has helped me to avoid self-seeking and self-pity. To watch others grow in this wonderful program, to see them improve the quality of their lives, is a priceless reward for my effort to help others. Self-examination is yet another reward for an ongoing recovery. As our serenity, peace, and contentment, the energy derived from seeing others on a successful path or sharing with them the joys of the journey give to my life a new meaning. All right, all right. Thank you so much. I'm Fernando. I am an alcoholic. And, you know, even if I'm not in contact with others, I can... You know, this is hard to do, but it is 12-step work. It's to say a prayer for others. You know, keep praying for them. Say, God, uh, I give these guys into your hands, you know, and you mention their names and keep them and help them and keep teaching them. Don't let them go. Fix them, Jesus. Fix them. Use your higher power's name if you, to fix the problem. And then after a while, you'll see transformation you'll see they'll call you counsel you you actually open the way for others to contact you and for you to do some meal or coffee or some physical face-to-face meeting with that person either in the success journey or continue to unravel the mysteries of alcohol drinking and the will and, and not surrendering so what we have here is a, a good process of communication is through surrendering to a higher power. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears real quick. Like we're going to move over to 24 hours a day. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, a priceless day today. It's going to be a great next two days. So we, we ask our higher power to bless the next two days that remarkable things will happen. Remember, with God, all things are possible. With our higher power, all things are possible. All he needs is our failures. All he needs is our our hiccups, our, our wrong words we said. All he needs is obedience from us, is to thank him. The problem is, is not the problem for me, folks. The situation for me is the challenge of me not saying thank you, not being grateful enough, not raising the bar high enough, saying thank you for this elephant that's standing on my foot. So then I scream with pain 
And someone hears me and they say, hey, you got a pretty good voice. Let's put a contract here for you. And then I make records and millions of dollars. That is the, the beauty of getting through the pain of saying thank you. And then that's a sacrifice. I don't have anything else to bring to the, to the power, the higher power of the universe. But I do have my failures. I do have my sin. I do have my hiccups. I put those in the altar. And it works. <laughs> Half the people say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. To thank God that your wife ran away with your best friends. Yeah. To thank God they repossessed your car. Yeah. To thank God your kids are, are running amok. Yep. If you, if you don't try something new, try it for three months. See if you don't get better blood pressure, humor, wisdom, and a check. You check yourself. What is my part? That's a quick 10 step. It's when you thank God for the problem. It's a quick 10 step because the spirit, the spirit tells you, well, what's your part? Well, what could you have done? Well, how did you, what did you do to, to uh, provoke it? How did you play a part on it? We're so innocent. Poor me. Huh? Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm over crossing my boundaries. I'm sorry. I apologize. God bless you. The guy that told me that his, when his feet hurt, it was a roommate that came out of rehab. I told the cat, hey, thank God that your feet hurt. And I've been working with this guy for four years. And he said, oh, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. You know, and some people will tell you that. Some people cannot. They stubbornly cannot thank God for their alcohol drinking. Well, I don't know. That's not what they stubbornly can say. Go to AA because they say it's a cult. But they love their drinking. They stubbornly say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Thank God that my feet hurt. Well, the poor guy can't continue to went on there, and, and he died he, uh, a couple of years later, making wrong choices. Pharmaceutical doctors trying to help him, overloaded him with pills. The fourth killer in the United States is overtaking a pharmaceutical stuff. Okay, so I, I I'm sorry for them, God. I thank you for those doctors. Greedy, greedy. 24 hours a day. Page 17, December 17, excuse me. AA thought for the day. The way of faith is, of course, not confined to AA. It is for everybody who really wants to live. But many people go through life without much of it. Many are doing so to their own sorrow. The world is full of lack of faith. Many people have lost confidence in any meaning of the universe. Many are wondering if it has any meaning at all. Many are at loose ends. Life has no goal for many. They are strangers in the land. They are not at home. But for us in AA, the way of faith is the way of life. We have proved by our past lives that we could not live without it. Do I think I could live happily without faith? Meditation for the day. We have proof by our past lives that we cannot live without it. That's right. Meditation for the day. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God does not interfere with the working of natural laws. 
The laws of nature are unchangeable. Otherwise, we could not depend on them. As far as natural laws are concerned, God makes no distinction between good and bad people. Sick or deaf may strike anywhere. But spiritual laws are also made to be obeyed. Our choice of good or evil depends on whether we go upward to true success and victory in life or downward to loss and defeat. Our choice of good or evil depends on whether we go upward to true success and victory in life or downward to loss and defeat. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may choose today the way of the spiritual life. I pray that I may live today with faith and hope and love. Wow. Okay, family. That's about... uh, We have... What else have we got? We got a bonus day today. We're going to be reading a little article from the grapevine from 1993. And right here it's called, this was sent to us from Dale C. from Tacoma, Washington. And it's called, wow, what's it called? Shared Experience. That's what it's called. Shared Experience. Oh, excuse me. It's called AA Afloat. AA Afloat. From Dale C. Tacoma, Washington. I'll read share experience tomorrow on tomorrow's session. It says right here. In June 1991, I had been sober and a member of AA for over three years. I entered the fellowship very skeptical of a higher power in my life. And though I talk a good second and third step at meetings... I still wasn't firmly convinced there really was a higher power in my life. But in June, that all changed. I was the skipper of a fishing vessel on my way with a new crew of five across the Gulf of Alaska from Sitka to Kodiak. When the vessel had an electric short, when we were 150 miles offshore, for two days we drifted while waiting for assistance. The boat was brand new and had broken down more than not, not during the fish fishing season, and I was quite discouraged. Again, the boat was brand new and had broken down more than not during the fishing season, and I was quite discouraged. I was alone in the wheelhouse on the radio watch at 3 a.m. as we drifted and was convinced that if there was a higher power in my life, then it was one I no longer wanted to rely on. And if I any crew and if any crew member, despite my orders, has some booze hidden away, I might as well have him share it with me. We were in touch with the Coast Guard on our single handed sideband, a radio which can broadcast and receive over several thousand miles. I was about ready to make my scheduled contact with the Coast Guard and then ask for a drink. When a voice came over the radio, does anybody out there know Bill W? Wow. Five or six people quickly answered in the affirmative, and one suggested that all mariners should take it one day at a time. I realized that the radio call from an anonymous caller somewhere at sea was no coincidence, but was a message for me from a higher power. I immediately felt a sense of peace. A few weeks later, I was in Sitka explaining my boat's electrical problem to some listeners. 
One of them said, if I had only taken the wire, this wire and put it there and that wire and put it here, I had been all right. I explained that I knew nothing about electricity. Indeed, I found it cunning, baffling, and powerful. One member of the group asked me what I said, and I repeated it. He said he had heard that somewhere before, and it turned out he had attended AA meetings but had quit. Meanwhile, his life had become miserable, and he wasn't sure what to do. A few months later, I talked to him again and learned that because of my chance remark about electricity, he had started attending AA meetings again, was sober, and his life was much better than it had been before. It took two days of drifting in the North Pacific, but I now firmly believe that not only is there a higher power protecting me, but that my higher power was at work in my life, even when I didn't believe in him. Dale C. from Tacoma, Washington. Thank you very much. Hit it out of the park. God bless you. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I had an experience where I got married with a, a, a woman, of course. I like my seat, my, uh, uh, my relationship with the wife. Now we're uh, being 12 years, and I met her through 12-step work. Uh, the person I was helping had a sister, and she came to help. And I looked at the high shoes, the black shoes, and the legs, and I said, eh, why not, Fernando? Yeah, <laughs> one day at a time, right? And it worked. You know, very little knowledge of, of or experience of who the, the person was. And uh, because we both had a heart for a higher power, and we had the 12 traditions to slap ourselves up against the wall and uh, step, it worked. Always went to the uh, to the set for guidance, and I just wanted to say uh, one. The reason I brought that up is for two or three years into the turmoil of getting settled in, it's like two strong rivers when you get and they're both in turmoil. When they hit each other, boy, they're calamity as you can be. They override the banks and they spill over, and two strong rivers collide, and that's what happened in our marriage. And then, but you see few years down the line it's peaceful you can drift the boat and take a nap there's no waves everything is tranquil because we have the program we had surrender and we had thank you god i'm jealous thank you god i'm a misfit thank you god the bills are being under rears thank you god and all that got strained out by obedience by obedience someone out there needs to hear this message you don't I learned that either I'm going to learn how God works through this marriage or I'm going to learn again on the same, uh, I'm going to same stubbornness with the next relationship and the next. So I decided to buckle down, buckle, and, and get the, the revelation of God was trying to tell me to live by faith, to thank Him for my problems and my attitude and my character defects. And voila! We got a good uh, understanding of faith. It's, it's smooth. The trust and confidence and everything is all time high. We so I forgot the point. Okay, three years into it, when the turmoil was real strong, I got a text at one thirty in the morning when we were up going at it, and the text said, uh, 
give it over to God, peace with God. I don't know who sent it, where it came from. I did not, the name was not identified. It was like a God sending me a message, guys, out of nowhere. As soon as I read that, I calmed down and went to sleep. So there is a God. I know who he is. And he is humorous and happy and joyful. He says that's that's the objective of the program. Freedom. All right, now, talk to you later. Thank you very much. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back, y'all. It's working. Great day, family. Welcome to today's reading of A.A. Grapevine and other spiritual readings to get our high on with our higher power. we got to hook up with the Most High and be the best we could by listening, listening intently to other people's experiences and what our higher power is, is conveying, telling us today, this day. Let us make the best day ever this Thursday. Welcome, welcome. I will greet you and I welcome you. Thank you for coming in here. Appreciate your ears, your ears. Let us go ahead and open this session with our serenity prayer place. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. 16th of December, Daily Reflections. We are partners in recovery, family. Our reading from today is from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 89 and 100. It says, Nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intense work with other alcoholics. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Nothing, absolutely nothing, will so much ensure immunity immunity from drinking as intensive work excuse me with other alcoholics both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress follow the dictates the dictates people of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances 
and doing the right thing for the right reasons. This is my way of controlling my selfishness and self-centeredness, doing the right things for the right reasons. I realize that my dependency on a higher power clears the way for peace of mind, happiness, and sobriety. I pray each day that I will avoid my precious, my previous actions so that I will be helpful to others. Fernando, alcoholic, a couple of words stand out right here. Dictates. Follow the dictates. Again, following the dictates is planting myself in the grass, but naked, no, barefooted, and waiting with pen and paper for the dictates of a higher power. Actually, it's called intelligence and waiting on common sense to come dancing before us and writing all the dictates of common sense. And we will presently live in a new, wonderful world no matter what your present circumstance. Our problem is that we're not thinking. I'm not thinking strong enough to uh, say, for instance, I got to go across town. As a professional truck driver, I used to... Notice that as a young man, when I didn't write down some streets I was going to be passing by and some major intersections and then what my destination is and and then have an overall view of what where my delivery was going to be, especially a place that I never been to. Uh, and I would write it on a little stick and stick it on my dash. After a while, <clears throat> I was able to, to make a, a map of all my drops, you know, utilizing the best, you know, drop-offs, dropping off and then picking up. When I, when I got two in a hurry and I left without the map and without taking a half hour to go back of the trailer, sit down, look at all the resources that I had to deliver and make my, my plan of action in the trailer and back of the trailer while other truck drivers just took off like the bat of the hell. They took off. I did my studying, and I would have a comfortable, wonderful life. It's the same thing today, folks. Say, for instance, we have a a big uh, dinner coming up, you know, somebody's birthday. So we need to write it down, um, pray about it, and continue to pray till this. So it will be smooth intervention, especially with our loved ones. Um, Writing down... You say, well, I'll just go when it comes. There's a big difference about writing it down and then praying about it and thinking about it and planning. Look what happened the last time. We were late at the last minute. We had to grab this, grab that, this and that, everything, remember? And as we're getting older, that happens more and more frequency. I got a... A luncheon tomorrow with my brothers and sisters and family and to not make things confusing we usually choose a, a restaurant and the person that has the birthday they choose the restaurant but my older brother right away he put in his uh, favorite restaurant and because it's convenient to my sister I, I said okay but you know what kind of restaurant it is Last time we were there, cocktails, I'll have a beer, I'll have a drink, and my brother's got to go to work. And he's, uh, uh, well, I won't break his anonymity, but, uh, you know, he's he's just a functioning alcoholic. Uh, I was telling him that I was 
visiting uh, road camps and uh, juvenile halls, and, and one day I asked them, hey, if you get sober, you can come and, vi- and go with me someday and go talk to the kids, you know? Like, we were in that road camp, my brother and I. He went first, and I, w- I followed him. He had a great history of, of a fighter, you know? It's, I heard a lot of stories about him. And um, he, he called me one day, and he said, he calls me Fernie. Fernie! Hey, I, I can go with you now. He goes, I stopped drinking. I go, all right, brother, that's wonderful. He goes, yeah, I only drink beer. <laughs> he hasn't gone with me yet, and he hasn't stopped drinking his beer. Anyway, I'll get a chance tomorrow, so I'm going to pray and, and be ready for that, you know, and push back the spirits of alcohol because there they will be spirits uh, dissipating in the in the atmosphere there they come out of the glass and they and they fall on my on my thrilling of open uh, pores in my skin so I'm gonna wear a long uh, long sleeve okay and be well and be well watered and go in there and, and love on them and tell how much I appreciate my brothers and sisters in this life that we've been in. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to me. I have no one here but you. I'm sure you have similar stories. God bless you. God care for you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm an alcoholic. Best thing that had ever happened to me. Got the, the snot beat out of me. Let's go ahead and move on to our second reading. Uh, let's go ahead and finish this little talk I had with the Our Father, please. Uh, pray with me for uh, tomorrow's. Uh, let us pray the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, <clears throat> thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. Hey, I'm not done yet. Don't go nowhere. Those of you that have to go to work, fine. God bless you. But I'm going to be reading a portion of the grapevine right here. It'll only take about five minutes. You don't want to miss this one. This is called, What's Going On? Greetings. This is from our October 1993 grapevine. And it's, it's sent to us by FL from Terrace Bay, Ontario. God bless the people of Ontario. Thank you. The article is called, What's Going On? In a strange city... Tired from too many miles of driving and looking forward to the boost that comes from AA Fellowship, I entered the unfamiliar meeting room where several little clusters of people were engaged in animated conversation. As I entered, two or three members quickly detached themselves from their groups, approached me, and introduced themselves, vigorously pumping my hand, obviously satisfied that their greeting course had been carried out They hurried back to their friends to resume their socializing. I was left standing there, admittedly well-greeted, but feeling somewhat abandoned. 
A veteran of hundreds of meetings, good ones and better ones, there are no bad ones, I had no trouble finding the coffee pot. It was almost time for the meeting to begin. Selecting a choice vantage point from the still empty rows of chair, I reasoned that a friendly soul would sit beside me with whom I could strike up a conversation. I, alas, the two chairs on either side of me remained consistently vacant during the entire meeting. This speaker was excellent, but my mind tended to wander to what's ifs what ifs what if this had been my first contact ever with alcoholic anonymous what if i had been on a dry drunk full of self-pity and resentment looking for an excuse to slip after the meeting the cluster reformed standing at the edge of a little group which did not acknowledge my presence i finished my coffee as i made my way to the door i bade everyone good night no one answered Another city, another meeting, two days later, the same introduction, the same handshakes, but there the similarity ended. There were obviously no appointed greeters. All members seemed to take responsibility for welcoming the newcomer. There were tactful phrases, yet insistent questions. New in town? What brings you here? First meeting? How long have you been around the program? When they were satisfied... I was not in crisis. I was given a directory of local meetings and member contacts to provide transportation if needed. When we sat down, I became part of a happy group of people, laughing, talking, sharing. After the meeting, there was more of the same, and I stayed until the end, helping to clean up and enjoying the hospitality. Where were these meetings? It's not important. What is important is that I go to meetings to learn, to take away something of value when I leave. These two experiences made me keenly aware of my responsibility to make the newcomer or stranger feel part of the group. And they demonstrated to me in a practical way how and and how not to do so. Woohoo! <clears throat> and a lot of us have had that experience, especially me, Especially me, because <laughs> now I'm talking, because <clears throat> I got the mic. The uh, <clears throat> My experience was um, in, uh, I was in a strange city, and I went to uh, a city there, and I went to a meeting early. Actually, I couldn't sleep. <clears throat> I had, you know, the meeting started at 6.30 in the morning. I was there at 4.30, folks. I went to the 7-Eleven and got my coffee. Then I went another 10, 11 miles to the other city for the meeting. I was visiting some relatives. And I said, I might as well go park and rest a little or meditate or read my uh, my, my resources I have with me. And, uh, and lo and behold, the meeting room is open. And they got a stereo system blasting, Concord Fellowship, Concord, California. And I said, what is it? It was cleanup day of the month. They open at 4.30, put a stereo on, everybody grab, grabs them up, and they start dancing. Wow, God knew exactly what I needed. I got in there, and I started mopping and cleaning tables and laughing and joking, and <clears throat> some great fellows made me feel comfortable and asked me all kinds of questions, same thing like this guy. 
After a while, they, they gave me a medallion that said Concord Fellowship. They gave me a little picture that I, I you know, of uh, Bill and Bob talking to the guy on the uh, alcoholic bed, Bill Dawson. It was a wonderful experience. And to this day, when I go over there, they'll call on me and share. They say, you know, the guy from so-and-so. <clears throat> and uh, I used to, uh, because that's, uh, I used to say, well, I still do. To get them to boo me, I'll say, I'm Fernando, alcoholic. I'm from the Los Angeles Dodger area. And you can hear all those uh, 49er fans or whatever up Northern California. Those, about 85 of them, they'll go, boo, boo, <clears throat> in a very loving way. And we have a lot of laughs. Life couldn't be any sweeter, guys getting phone numbers, working with new people, uh, new people coming up to you and talking to you. They think you have the answer and you're, you got the, the, the chemical to... And sometimes you do. You have the right answers. You say, protect your sobriety. Don't let emotional family put anything on your plate. You're running fine. You're doing good. You're making efforts, strides. They don't want to do the hard work. They don't want to get up early. They don't want to study. But they want to cling on to you because you're studying and you're moving forward. Protect your sobriety from crazies. All right. Thank you. You can go to work now. I'll be right back. I'm going to switch horses here right now. We're going to get into our our spiritual uh, part of our higher power this session. Thank you so much for listening in. I'll be right back. 30 seconds. Welcome back to Faith to Faith Daily Devotional. I took my shot of coffee. Uh, a sponsor bought me a coffee for the meeting when I make a meeting at the coffee at the park. He uses uh, his government funds to uh, to help the, the program. Isn't that great? Okay, December the sixteenth, Kenny Copeland. Run him out of town. Woohoo! Our scripture for today is taken from the Amplified Bible is Ephesians 6, 14 through 15. It says, Stand therefore, having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Again, stand you, therefore, having your feet prepared to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, 14-15. Preparation when it comes to fighting spiritual battles 
That's word you'll do well to remember. That's a word you we will do well to remember. Most believers don't pay much attention to it. They don't prepare themselves in advance. They fiddle around until the devil makes his move. Then they jump up and they try to fight with the word and they usually lose. I used to do the same thing until the Lord taught me differently. I used to wait until my meetings began began to pray for their success. As they began then, I started praying for their success. As Satan would come against, the disease would come then and from one direction, I fight him there. Then the disease would come around and attack me in another area and I fight him there. <clears throat> one day, the Lord showed me that by waiting until the last minute to take my stand, I was giving Satan the disease time to build up his forces against me. And consequently, I was losing many of my battles. Then the Lord said something to me I'll never forget. He said, if they had kicked Al Capone out of Chicago when he was just a small-time operator, he wouldn't have been so hard to handle. But they waited until he became a first-class criminal with his forces built up around him. Then it took an army to bring him down. When I heard that, I made up my mind never to be caught unprepared again. I started praying about these meetings weeks in advance, getting the stage set spiritually before they ever happened. Instead of letting Satan get his forces entrenched, I started throwing him out before he got a single foothold. When I did, I saw more victories than I ever had before. Don't let the devil catch you off guard. Don't let the disease catch you off guard. Be prepared. Start praying and speaking the promises, the word of faith. Now over your family, your meetings, your business, your church, get your fuel, feet shot, prepared, preparation of the gospel of peace. Then if Satan, the disease, causes trouble, you'll be well equipped to run him out of town. Woohoo! Beautiful reading. And that, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 12 to 21, is Jesse sends David to Saul's camp. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephratite from Bethlehem. In the land of Judah, Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliabab, Abinadab, and Shimea, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. 
Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him, huh, shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has ordered a, a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. <clears throat> wow. David asked a soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine again and ending his defiance of Israel? <clears throat> Who is the pagan Philistine anyway that he allow to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, Yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's older brother Eliabab have heard David talking to them, he was angry. What are you doing here? Anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, said Saul. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When the lion or the bear comes to steal lamb from the flock, I go after it. I go after it with a club. I just knocked my coffee down, swinging my arms around. I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy, ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? 
and he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here, lad, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, for the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Wow. As Goliath moved closer to David, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out his stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David Triumph over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheet. David used it to kill and cut off his head. Wow. Put that, let's put that in our tea and drink it. Incredible story. David and Goliath. And... I'm Fernando, alcoholic. I see the disease. <clears throat> Anything that will move up against God, God says, that is my battle. So we got to get out of the way. Thank God for the test. <clears throat> Thank God for the disease coming at you. Uh, what does it look like? It looks like self-pity. It looks like uh, pressure to get your gifts. It looks like anything that's, that's trying to Get on your plate. Just give the plate over to God. Says, here, God, take this. Turn it over. Let God take care of it. As we're going to read in uh, Proverbs right now, we're going to read Proverbs 16 and Psalm 16 and take a look at how to turn it over. I gotta move over to the uh, English translation. I thought I had this ready. Oh, here, maybe I do. Proverbs 16. And then we're gonna cap it with Psalm 16, which is a beautiful psalm. Here we go. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Here we go. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Verse 3. You know, another people says, put the things you're thinking about on the hands of the Lord and your, and your thoughts will be established. Now the word established, meaning it's a blessing from heaven and it will, kind of like answered prayer, it will succeed. So for us, is to being good communicators or turning this stuff over to our higher power that can handle any situation that's coming at us. I've been practicing this all week long 
you know, when I have overbearing sponsees or, or, uh, or, or relatives want for you to go pick up a very, uh, a, an object and you have to humble yourself and bite your lip and go help because you're, you know, you want their, uh, they don't normally do that. You know, I, have, I have to have a good attitude. I commit my actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. I'm going over there today. I went there yesterday. I went there last week. All right. <laughs> Commit your actions. I wanted to read it in the Amplified, see if I can, that particular one. It says right here, and God said, oh no, it went all the way to Genesis. And God said that we're to say, we're to say God's words, by the way. The Amplified says, Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust Him wholly to Him. Whew. That takes a skill and it takes a grown-up to do that, an intelligent person to do that. To roll them wholly to Him and leave them there. Roll your works upon the Lord. The more I work with people, the more this goes right over their heads. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will. So the problem and so shall your plans be established, there's the word, and succeed. So once they're established through prayer, you ask, they will succeed because they're coming in from heaven. Okay, the Lord has made everything to accommodate itself and contribute to his own end and his own purpose. Even the wicked are fitted for the role for the day of calamity and evil. I'm going to have to turn this off and clean up that coffee. That's the point for today. Roll your works on the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Okay? And let me real quick like read Psalm 16 because it, it is a beautiful psalm. It's a poem of David. It's intended to record memorable thoughts. Wow. It says, Keep and protect me, O God, for in you I have found refuge. And in you do I put my trust and hide myself. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside or beyond you. As for the godly, the saints who are in the land, they are excellent and noble. And the glorious in whom is all my delight. There's our fellowship people right here. As for the fellowship, the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent, the noble, and the glorious in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied who choose another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen and assigned portion, my cup. You hold and maintain my lot. The Lord is my chosen and assigned portion, my cup. You hold and maintain my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yeah, I have a good heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Yes, my heart instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory, my inner self rejoices. My body too shall rest and confidently dwell in safety. For you will not abandon me to shallow the place of the dead. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Thank you, family, for coming in here. Uh, I pray you have a wonderful day today. Give them heaven. Let's pray out with the uh, third step prayer, please. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. One of the prayers that we use is called the set aside prayer. And the, the, the guy that uh, Greg likes, he's called, uh, uh, he's from YouTube, and he's got the highest hits on YouTube, you know, like 700,000 hits. He's got more than Clancy. And and I met him, yeah, he's from Las Vegas, and I, I met him, uh, 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 and he uh, he invited me to, to the to meetings in Las Vegas. Anyway, he does this prayer, and I think this prayer is his key to success in, in life. He says this prayer before he starts talking. I, I copied it pervadum from us. You know, we, we've... Uh, good morning, Rick. There he is. Good morning. All right, I like the t-shirt. Savage. We got... We got Sean. Sean's been with us before. Remember, he... He run around trying to get his kids ready for school with his big book. Um, here we go. Thank you, everyone, for coming in today's Zoom me- meeting of reading of the big book. Today's uh, reading, we go, Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my recovery, my own for a new experience in you, Lord, for a new experience in myself, a new experience in my fellow man, and a much-needed ex- new experience in my recovery, in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, see if we can do uh, uh, three quarters of a session. We'll start off with uh, page 24, which is called uh, The Fact Is. Uh, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequence that follows taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and readily supplanted with the old treadbare idea 
that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Rick? Bill Hallett may see himself in most cotton way and won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often of us begin to drink in this nonchalant way and after a third or fourth pound out of the bar, said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by a wall, stop at the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he's probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but by the grace of God, we would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many of us want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much in heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence which we have not even dreamed The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had to pass through a region in which there is no return, through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One is to go to, out to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness in an intolerable situation as best as we could, and the other is to accept spiritual help. This we did because we wanted, honestly wanted to, and we were willing to make the effort. Page 62, please. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. He is the father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was a keystone of the new triumphant arch which would pass through freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had to import being all powerful, we provided what we needed if we established always oh, we kept close to him and formed the work well. Established on such a footing we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans of design, 
more and more we gained interest in seeing what we could contribute to life first. We felt the new power flow flow in and enjoyed peace of mind. We discovered we could space life successfully. As we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose a fear of today and tomorrow and thereafter. We were reborn. We were now at step three. <clears throat> Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. <clears throat> Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. <clears throat> we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to, to him. Page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that he should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go off from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Page 86, please, on awakening. On awakening, we think about our 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we even begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking for to, to divorce us. Make a divorce from self-pity to silence, self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we employ our mental faculties with insurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when this sort of thinking is clear of wrong motives. Thinking about our day, we face any decisions we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's where we ask God for inspiration and true thought or decision. We relax, we take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how right the answers come after we have been trying this for a while. What usually, what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still and experienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives and friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious domination, which requires definite the morning book devotion, we attend that also. If we're not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize the set prayers, which emphasize the principles that we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions of these may be obtained by one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see what religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. As we go through the day, we pause and agitate or doubtful. We ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. We humbly say to ourselves, many times we say, Thy will be done. We are in less much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not burning up energy foolishly as we did 
as we were when we're trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. Thank you. Okay, let's jump over to page 416, please. It helped me. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue. <clears throat> that I've been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I have not been aware of the compulsion at the time. And that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. <clears throat> there was a certain sense of security in the familiar. <clears throat> Excuse me. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I've been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. Because I find some person, place, or thing, or some fact in my life unacceptable to me. I can find no surrender to uh, accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at the moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happened in God's world by mistake. Until I accept my alcoholism, I cannot stay sober. Unless I can accept my life completely out of life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need not to concentrate so much on what needs to be changed in the world, but what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said all the world of stage and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention I was a true critic. I was also able to see the flaw in every person in every situation and I was always glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection just as I did. AA acceptance has uh, taught me that there's a bit of good in, in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. And we are all children of God and we each have the right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I complain about God's hand because I'm saying I know better than God. <clears throat> For years, <clears throat> I was sure that the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. <clears throat> Today, I find it is the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I'm better off if I don't give advice. Don't figure I know what's best and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, <clears throat> especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It is though AA had given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift of being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was as if I had, rather than a Midas touch, which turned everything to gold, a magnifying mind that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years, as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew, grew, and grew, and we married. And all these qualities became more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. Let's go ahead and jump to page 420, please. Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps the best thing for, of all for me is to remember that my serenity is universally personal to my uh, expectations. 
the higher my expectations of Max and other people, the lower my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectation, but my rights return will be linked to can't force my serenity level down. I can, I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity and my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and my sobriety than anything else, I can maintain it at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance. I never just sit down, sit and do nothing while waiting for them to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me, what needs to be done, and I leave the results up to him. However, it turns out God's will for me. I must keep my magic right of my mind on my acceptance and off my expectations. More, my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I've never had it so good. Thank God for it. <clears throat> Amen. Let's turn to page uh, one hundred, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstance. Page 83, please. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Page 85, please. It's easy to learn about our spiritual program and rest in our, rest in our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do. We're alcoholics and subtle foe. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is daily relief, the cognitive maintenance of a spiritual condition, which every day is a day we must. Well, I lost my place. So every day is a day we must carry out this, this vision of God's will into all of our activities. This cow may have served thee, and thy will not mine be done. These are slides that must go with us constantly, and we exercise our willpower along the line of all we wish. It is proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength and inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. We have carefully followed directions. We have begun to sense the flow of the Spirit into us, and to some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop a vital success. Well, we must go further. That means more action. Page 43, please. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. <clears throat> His defense must come from a higher power. D.N. Beautiful, 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 beautiful readings, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rick, for helping me. Thank you, everyone. Let's go ahead and uh, close the session with the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity 
to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. <laughs> Hi, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando, a member of Elanon, and let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence with the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right. Well, we have going to be doing readings of the three Elanon books. And for me, my friend Patrick here is going to lead us on the reading and commenting. So I'm going to switch it over to comments from Patrick from Experience, Strength, and Hope, if there's any that he'd like to talk about. Thank you. Well, greetings. Uh, my name is Patrick. I am in recovery in both programs. And today I'll be reading from Hope for Today for December 17th. Looking back to my childhood, I don't remember any secrets. I just remember not talking about certain subjects such as sex, money, and religion. My family also had trouble communicating about love, fear, insecurity, and anger. Years later, my husband, three children, and I didn't share at all. We didn't even argue. We thought we were respecting each other by swallowing our thoughts and feelings about potentially hot topics. Actually, we were all emotionally frozen. I am grateful Al-Anon has helped me talk about almost any issue. Going to meetings and having time to share has been powerful for my recovery. I even told my 12-year-old daughter about a mistake I made and the amends I had planned to correct it. She looked so surprised as if I had given her permission to be human too. Today, my immediate family talks about all sorts of topics. We work hard at being honest with each other, and we are closer because of it. And today's thought for the day. Thanks to my healthy sharing and listening experiences in Al-Anon, I can risk being true to myself with family members and allow family members to risk being themselves with me. I will dare to be myself. Thank you. Now, our second reading is from the book of Courage to Change, also an Al-Anon publication, December 17th. Again and again in Al-Anon meetings over the years, I heard the suggestion to pray for those I resented. My early attempts to follow this suggestion did me little good. Over time, however, it has become one of the most effective tools of my recovery. What made the difference? I stopped praying for other people to change. It used to be, please God, let them stop hurting me, or show them that I'm right, or get them sober and hurry. Today I focus on what I can change instead. I ask for a new way of thinking about the situation. I keep in mind whatever is bothering me when I say the serenity prayer. What is it that I need to accept or change? I pray for the wisdom to know the difference and the serenity and courage to follow through with what I learn. Finally, I pray that the person in question be given the serenity, love, and joy that I want for myself. We all deserve that. Today's reminder. Resentments mark the places where I see myself as a victim. I want to let 
them go because they cost me too much self-esteem. I will love myself enough to release myself from the closet in which resentments keep me locked. And here's a quote. Quote, if we want to stop the vicious cycle of unhappiness, we must learn new ways of living, new ways of relating to each other. End quote. And our third ring today is also from Al-Anon, one day at a time in Al-Anon, December 17th. The husband of an alcoholic from an Al-Anon group in France writes to the World Service Office, quote, I recall our blackboard at school. The writing was often hard to read because the board had been wiped with a cloth that was loaded with chalk dust. Then we would wipe it with a wet sponge and the board would be clean and black so we could read clearly what was written on it. It is not the same with the anxieties that troubled me. If I wish to erase them from my mind, I must not use a cloth full of dusty thoughts, but pass the sponge over it so that no trace of what was written before can jumble up the fresh inspiration, the ideas I want to see and live with. Today's reminder. From every corner of the world, people in Al-Anon reach out to each other with helpful thoughts. How vividly this young Parisian husband shows us the need to erase our useless anxieties from our minds and our hearts. Today's quote. Quote, I pray that I may start each new day with a clean blackboard and write upon it only what is good for me. End quote. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Patrick, and I'll be reading today from a book titled Limitless Love, a 365-day devotional by Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. We'll be reading, the reading today is for July 27th. Limitless Love, the blessing of giving. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give then to receive. And that's from Acts 20.35. Most people quote this verse without having any idea what it really means. Yes, brother, they say in their most pious tone of voice, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Have you ever asked that question? What is it that's so much better about giving than receiving? I'll tell you. It's when you're giving that you begin to understand something about the heart of God. It's when you're giving with a cheerful attitude and a true desire to bless someone that you get a glimpse into the mind of your Heavenly Father. The more you give, the more you realize how much joy there is in it. You start finding out how much fun it is to be like Him. You become more aware that He is in you and that His nature springs to life when you start to express it. What's more, as you experience the delight of blessing others, you get a first-hand look at how much the Lord delights in blessing you. As a result, your faith is strengthened. That's why giving puts receiving into motion. Receiving doesn't put giving into motion. Once you give, your revelation of God's love increases and you're better able to receive. Then, because you caught on to the thrill of giving, your receiving just becomes a way for you to give more. If you get on that road and stay on it, you'll act more like God every day. You'll want to meet every need you see. My mother was like that, not so much in the realm of finances, but in the area of prayer. 
She had a revelation of the power of prayer and started praying for others at an early age. She was at the throne of God day and night, obtaining blessing or helping for someone who needed it. She lived to pray for people and got greater joy from it than you can imagine. In the process, she learned more about God than most folks will ever know. She was so close to him, she could get him to do just about anything for her. I remember once the Lord guaranteed I wouldn't fail in ministry. When he asked him why, he simply said, because I have your mother in my face. Mama was like that even on her very last days on earth. Just before she died, she got so weak that the doctor ordered her not to pray for anyone else. Her body was just worn out and he wanted her to reserve her strength. But even so, she was praying for people who were in the hospital with her right up to the very end. At a time when you would expect her to be asking for prayer from others, she was still getting a thrill out of giving it away. No doubt she entered heaven shouting hallelujah and looking for someone to pray for because she's discovered it's more blessed to give than to receive. Thank you and amen. That's what's going on. Okay, let's go ahead and keep uh, recording. We're talking about how um, today's example of what's the greatest blessing an alky or a narcotics guy or someone can do for others. Now explain that to me again. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. I'm talking with Patrick. Simply by staying sober. Uh, Simply by staying sober, we can... Uh, especially it's those people that are loving family, our uncles, aunts, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, everyone that cares for us, we, we have them on edge as long as we're out there in the danger of drinking and brawling and fighting. Uh, for instance, I just got a report that I think you know him, the young man that you talked to once, uh, the police officer. Uh, I just heard he went out back drinking and he was at a bar. He got stabbed on Monday. And, uh, God. Yeah, I had him talk to you and say hi to you on the phone when you were out there drinking. We were trying to bring, yeah. Over there. Remember that little conversation? Barely. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what do you think about, uh, what do you tell a person that's coming fresh from out of there, and you said what, he's got what, so many days sober? Let's just say three weeks, three days. A person has three weeks sober. All of a sudden reality is settling in. And the gravity of his past is catching up with him. And in my case, I would get a little restless and say, okay, and actually write down, well, my son, uh, my wife, and this and that. And then, you know, it just dawned on me, well, someone explain it to me first. Just by staying sober, those people don't have to worry about you. Your wife doesn't have to sit up late at night waiting for you to crawl home from the bar or get that phone call from the cops or the hospital. So just by staying sober, if that's all you can do that day until you get out and really start going into action, don't worry about it. That, that's all that's meant to be done at that time. And you communicate with them and say, I'm better by the day. And here's my progress. And uh, I've noticed that people will notice a certain change in the tone of your voice, the inflection, or when they see you, you look full of life. And you're not, you know, down in the dumps all the time. Even if you're sober, we tend to get depressed and down on ourselves. So just realize that just by doing that, you are making progress, even though you don't see it immediately. 
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Amen. I can see that too, that uh, they're at peace and at ease. And the greatest blessing we could do to our parents and others is to get on with our life and go and enjoy it. Yeah. Go and enjoy our life. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing this hobby, that hobby, you know, and, and they get inspired by us enjoying. Yeah. I'm, I'm walking the beach, enjoying the, the ocean. I said, or, you know, just little projects like that. I'm taking my dog to be groomed, you know. Yeah. That's things we wouldn't do before. Nope. Little things. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking right. care of my car. I just spend it, you know, so much to make sure it, it drives perfectly well. And uh, and I'm not holding back like I would if I would have been drinking, right? Right. Writing it down to the ground. So there's a lot, lot to it that we give without realizing that we're blessing others now. You know, what a blessing. A lot of it reminds me of that movie, uh, a one. It's a Wonderful Life. Do you know that movie about uh, with James Stewart? Oh yeah. Where he's yeah, he's given a tour of the life, the people around him, had he not been born. And it turns out he affected so many people when he was there. Even though he was down on himself, he was to the brink of suicide. And this angel, I guess his name is Clarence in the movie, pointed out, you know, your life was by no means a waste at all. You saved this person. You did that for that person. And you don't remember. So, in a way, to put that in terms, for me at least, maybe you too, it's like, well, gee whiz, if I wasn't sober, that wouldn't have happened. I, couldn't, I would not have been able to help my son do this, or my ex-wife, or whatever, or take care of my little doggy. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, it's just the little things that we don't think about, but other people may remember years later and say, I remember when you walked my dog when I was really sick. So, well, thank you. you know. Thank you. Amen. That's all we can say is thank you. And that's a great word right there, just being acknowledged and thanked for it. You know, I heard uh, just say this. I, I, I see a lot of uh, near-death experiences on YouTube, and the lady says, I, I was going to do a life review. I died on the op operating table, but I came back, of course. I was over there for three hours, four hours. And they were doing a life review on me. And I hear I thought that was going to be all the bad things I'd done. No, it was exactly what you just mentioned. They review all the good things, mm. you know, all the good things I'd done. You know, the review, yeah. you know, and... Uh, I did this for that person. I, I got out of the way for that. I defused this situation or that. And um, and that right there was uh, exemplary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, I think about it, there are things that I can remember that, you know, affected other people in a positive way, I'd like to think. Amen. Well, thank you very much for this quick interview on the power of blessing others through Having fun with abstinence. You're welcome.